0: up everyone welcome to the week 10 what we saw podcast i am eric smith and i am joined by ryan heath to break down this week's action we're recording this during the sunday night football game between the chargers and the 49ers uh week 10 was a fun one ryan it looks like right off the bat like the colts proved us wrong right you don't need an experienced head coach uh you don't need an experienced play caller if you just bring back matt ryan then like the whole offense improves so they've clearly solved this formula in the nfl the colts are back welcome ryan what do you think of week 10
1: I loved week 10. Honestly, just a lot of really fun narratives either came crashing to a halt or just hit us in the face like the cults thing. I tweeted out after the game a poll asking my followers if they thought that I could coach an NFL team to victory against Josh McDaniels. Uh, Like 84% of my followers so far think I can. So that apparently people that follow me on twitter think i'm way smarter than i am cuz i absolutely could not but it i mean i guess all you have to do is tweet that the raiders suck and 2 weeks later you you could find yourself coach in a head coaching position winning a game against them it's it's an amazing world we live in
0: Yeah, I do a live stream every Sunday morning with Jeff Berkus from Windy City Gridiron. We've been doing a survivor pool uh, this whole season. Uh, Neither of us picked the Raiders this week against the Colts, despite all the dunking we've done on the Colts all week. Neither of us could pull the trigger because it was the Raiders. And sure enough, Raiders at home losing to the Colts is pretty wild. I took my chances with the Giants at home against the Texans, and that proved to be the smarter move. So uh, sorry, Raiders fans. I don't know what to tell you about this team. I hope there's some hope for the future here, but losing to the Colts in this fashion is pretty embarrassing. So uh, we're going to get to some more action around the NFL. But as always, please check out the What We Saw article on the website. We're going to break down every single fantasy-relevant player. Uh, it's going to go a lot more in depth than Ryan and I will here. So please make sure to check it out. Our staff does awesome work, but we're going to start with some fun headlines today. Um, Ryan and I are just going to make fun of the league, make fun of ourselves, make fun of coaches, a little bit of everything here. So um, I wanted to start this off with the one and only Tony Pollard. Uh, Ryan, where do we even start here? Like it's when it, when it's this clear that Tony Pollard is the best player and he's been the backup for this long, like I don't know. Talk me through this, Ryan. Well, Eric, Tony Pollard <laughs>
1: averaged 5.2 yards per carry on 22 carries uh, this week. The no, no carries of over 14 yards, so this wasn't all one big run. He was consistently being efficient, even on an over 20 touch workload. I, I don't know what to tell you. Just where we've always been right about Tony Pollard, like we've said this multiple times on this podcast this year, and probably for years before that. uh, I will say that the Tony Pollard goalposts have been moved once again. Uh, Before this game, it was, well, Tony Pollard might be more efficient than Zeke, but he couldn't do that on a full workload during a game. He couldn't do that on 20 plus touches. Does it on 20 plus touches? Now the narrative is, oh, well, he couldn't hold up over a full season. So we can't make Tony Pollard our bell cow. So I, I'm sure that Tony, I or at least I hope Tony Pollard will get a chance to do that at some point, hopefully next year. And I'm excited to see where the goalposts move next after he gets to be like the overall RB1 for an entire season and just has a Christian McCaffrey level type of fantasy impact because it – I. I can't even imagine where the goalposts will be at that point.
0: <laughs> Maybe Jerry Jones will come out with uh, the RB wins stat. I mean, the Cowboys are one and one with Ezekiel Elliott not playing a full workload. Rest of the season, I, I think that means they're five and two with Zeke full workload. So I think that's it, Ryan. We're moving towards RB wins to judge Tony Pollard.
1: Yeah, that's even better than QB wins. It, yeah, it's even better than win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's just the team X is whatever and whatever when they're running back gets 20 at least 20 carries or the team runs the ball 30 times like that that you're right I think that is where we go next it, it, it would be like an old reliable it pro- probably would be a comfortable area for Jerry Jones and company to pivot to
0: yeah Zeke would salted this one away and they would have held on for the victory so clearly but yeah I mean this we joke this has to I mean how much more can we really see this has to keep adding to the the column for Tony Pollard to see more touches. And eventually I think the dam's going to break here. So we'll see if Jerry Jones says the same old, same old, but uh, he sure looks like a good running back who deserves a ton of work. So like you said, even if it's not this year, future years, hopefully uh, good things ahead for Tony Pollard. So next up, uh, this is one we love to see here, Ryan, Justin Fields breakout continues, real life fantasy, however you want to look at it. Uh, this is a whole bunch of fun seeing Justin Fields rush for like a hundred yards every game. It really is. Yeah. And I, I mean, the fun part to me
1: is watching everybody on fantasy football, Twitter, argue over who was the first on Justin Fields. Like they I sure people were in on him before the season and were drafting him, but that that's not what people find important. Now we're arguing about who was the first to say to pick him up after people had dropped him. So we, I went and looked back at our previous show sheets, Eric, we had him as a streamer in week 6 when he was 39% rostered which i think is about as low as he actually got he wasn't actually dropped in that many leagues as people like to pretend he was uh and we also had him as a streamer in week 8 right before that Dallas game uh when he was 44% rostered and that that was i think that was kind of the turning point in everyone's minds on Justin Fields so throwing our hat in the ring we we were also told we also told you so on Justin Fields I guess just like everybody else says they did
0: yeah I think he was on the cover of our rankings article might even have been week one week one or week two we were, we were wanting this to happen right away uh, I certainly played Justin Fields during his two worst weeks of the season so uh, we all tried to be in on this one early uh, I'm glad we got back on the train though before the breakout happened because He's killing it right now. 147 rushing yards on 13 carries. Sure, it was against the Lions, but uh, we'll still take that. Two rushing touchdowns. I do kind of wonder, can we paint a narrative here with Justin Fields? Like he's he had a 67-yard rush today. Like He is breaking some awfully long runs. There aren't many quarterbacks in the league that can do that, but uh, is there some regression coming here for Justin Fields, or should we just be happy that we have a quarterback that can rush for a 67-yard rush? I think we should just be happy.
1: I would say, if anything, this is kind of the positive regression coming because he he was running the ball earlier in the year as well. I, not as much the Bears weren't running as many plays or sustaining as many drives, but I, I don't think it's all that crazy that we're seeing results like this. Like, no, I don't expect him to go for over 100 yards every single game, but th- this looks like a very viable fantasy quarterback a qb1 the rest of the way kind of no questions asked so yeah like will he break the quarterback rushing yards record i think he's only like 400 rushing yards or so away from that uh so I, i it's possible but yeah i even if he's not doing 150 every single game like he he's still going to be good. I don't think we need to be regression contrarians here.
0: Fair enough. I will say it's worth mentioning on these Bears running backs. uh, This is kind of what I feared would happen here. Uh, Justin Fields is now taking the rushing touchdowns. Uh, There's not a lot of exciting stuff going on in the Chicago backfield now. All of a sudden, Khalil Herbert got hurt in this one, left with a hip injury, but uh, 57 yards rushing for Herbert, 37 for David Montgomery. I think maybe Fields ascension here is good. It's good for Fields. It's good for the passing game, but it kind of seems to have a negative impact on this Bears running game. So I think that's kind of worth keeping in mind as we uh, kind of analyze this team going forward, because normally as the quarterback breaks out, you'd think everyone would come along with them, but it, it kind of feels like the running backs are getting left in the dust here.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I mean, part of it was also that Montgomery and Herbert had been splitting workloads much more in the last few weeks. But yeah, overall, the running back rush share seems to be going down, especially around the goal line.
0: All right, let's get on to the other side of that Cowboys game we talked about earlier for the Green Bay Packers, rookie Christian Watson, huge game here, Ryan. He catches four of eight targets for 107 yards and three touchdowns. That is some awesome touchdown efficiency. Uh, where are we at with Christian Watson and this Packers passing game?
1: So, I mean, it's not all incredible. Like Watson did have two pretty bad drops. Uh, it was one of those situations where you look at Twitter and see everybody say like how horrible Christian Watson looks like oof Christian Watson. And then you look up and he has scored multiple touchdowns in the 30 minutes since that tweet was sent. So it it was yeah. up and down for sure. But Like we have to take Christian Watson seriously. Like we in after week 10, we don't get guys with upside on waiver wires like this very often. A rookie wide receiver in an offense with pretty much no other real target commanders around him with what is supposed to be a good quarterback uh, who has, what was it your first round draft pick early second, like significant draft capital. Yeah. Like this is, this is a guy that should be on every single roster after this week.
0: Yeah. I kind of wish we had pounded the table a little bit more for for him as like a dart throw roster pickup. I I actually picked him up in Scott Fishbowl the other week. It's really deep rosters, but I kind of agreed with you. Like you're not going to see that much upside on the waivers at this point of the year. And I, it was all unrealized upside with Christian Watson, but I agree. He was always going to be the potential deep play threat in this offense. And it's certainly something this offense needed. Like they needed someone to take the top off here. So yeah, I. it's hard to know. We kind of mentioned this before we came on air. Like, it's hard to know how we're going to rank him going forward. Like, what do we do with him next week? Because four catches, three touchdowns isn't super repeatable. But regardless, he had eight targets. Nobody else had more than four on the offense for the Green Bay. Uh, Rogers only threw 20 pass attempts. So he drew a lot of those looks. So it's going to be difficult going forward, but um, the upside is there. The pedigree's there. Everything's there. So yeah, we, we need to get him on the team. If you have fab left, just use it all. I would assume at this point, like it's, we'll see how this goes going forward. I'm the, the Packers ran 39 times for 207 yards today. So I, it's going to be interesting to see how this offense shakes out going forward with that split.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's that, Run funnel Dallas defense that we talked about because they've been so good against the past so far this year. So I mean, maybe that's even more encouraging for Christian Watson, but yeah, I, I mean, we'll be in your ears again on Thursday and I'll be trying to explain to you wherever I end up ranking him. I'm not, not really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. I am. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the run funnel Dallas defense. That was one I was a little skeptical about when we talked about them in the sit, start podcast and it sure worked out. So hopefully people trusted us more than I trusted myself, right? So, all right, next up, uh, our, our weekly Tampa Bay Buccaneers check-in, um, Ryan, you were right on Chris Godwin. Go ahead and take your victory lap.
1: I, Chris Godwin scored a touchdown like I, I told you he would that's ba- that's basically all it is like I, I can't take any credit for this really I'm just I'm just looking at two numbers that Kyle Bland publishes every single week like I, I don't want to be like oh I'm the genius that figured out Chris Godwin was due for touchdown aggression like it yeah he, he just was and it worked out
0: now for sure but we did see uh, Leonard Fournette leave with an injury and Rashad White took advantage here We talked about them a lot on the last podcast. Like I was kind of pushing back on Rashad White saying that we would need an injury to Leonard Fournette probably for this to happen. And sure enough, it happened. Uh, Rashad White, 22 carries for 105 yards. Fournette had 14 carries for 57 yards and a touchdown himself. Um, Fournette had one catch. Uh, I don't believe Rashad White had any catches. So I, I think that's still an issue here, Ryan, but Uh, If Fournette's going to miss time, uh, White, we've been telling people to roster him forever. Uh, I do think it's time that it's going to pay off here.
1: It is. And Rashad White is currently still rostered in under 50% of Yahoo leagues. Uh, Not in my league. Twitter was already out in full force today whenever on any tweet that made any mention of picking up Rashad White, because everybody knows that your league is the sharpest around and he was drafted in the third round and has been on a roster all season, but Yes. If you somehow you've been listening to us all year and Rashad White's out there in your league, obviously spend all your fab on him.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'll say my home league is pretty deep rosters, and he did get cut recently, picked up and cut this week, but he was rostered again before this weekend. So he was gone in a a pretty deep league, but he was out there during the week. So I I think most weeks or most leagues have seen him hit waivers at least by now, even if he's been picked up already. Like you've had your chances with Rashad White. So I I don't know what else to tell you at this point. But generally, like, you know, I I think this is definitely a, a positive trend. I mean, they ran for 161 yards, even though it was on 44 carries. Like, the offense you know they got to win against the Seahawks it may be headed in the right direction here so hopefully we can get some of that more uh explosive bucks offense we're used to um I also would like to take a victory lap here Ryan Cole Komet streamer this week uh you laughed at me two touchdowns that's I believe five in three weeks so Cole Komet league winner uh, I'm just gonna take a bow on this one
1: yeah <laughs> I mean I mean touchdown regression finally came for Cole Komet too yeah I get let's yeah be happy i i guess i'm owned on that
0: one <laughs> i think he got uh yeah two seasons worth in uh three weeks so I, that's how it somehow goes in fantasy football it's hard to hard to predict this stuff but uh it did match up as, as a, a decent spot and he's starting to get some volume and uh other than him and mooney like it that's that's about all there is in the passing game so i do think there's some value in him going forward it's it's tight end it's pretty gross so okay here's one we should talk about ryan jonathan taylor he's healthy. Uh, He played 60 of 64 snaps today. I know his rushing line is a little bolstered by one big long run in this one, but I think playing 60 of 64 snaps should put any concerns we had about Taylor to bed.
1: Yeah. I mean, not much else to say, like clear high-end RB1 the rest of the season. Uh, I I mean, a big thing is Matt Ryan (laughs) playing now as opposed to Sam Ellinger. That obviously helps a ton as well. Honestly, I feel horrible for Frank Reich. The fact that it seemed like it wasn't really his choice to play Ellinger that that seemed to be a directive from Ursa. And then Wright gets fired Saturday comes in and he's allowed to make the game day call that Matt Ryan's going to start. Like, I, I don't know if I would be pretty upset. I'm I'm sure Frank Reich is upset and doesn't need me to tell him this, but yeah, he, he kind of got screwed.
0: Yeah. And I, I think a lot of probably betters and fantasy players got screwed on this one. Like we weren't even sure that Matt Ryan was healthy, you know, and all of a sudden he's active on game day. No hint to this at all. I mean, most of the reporting was like you said, it was that uh, ownership wanted Sam Ellinger and like, it was his team going forward, like at least for the rest of the year. Uh, So this was a pretty wild, uh, wild switch right before the game. And just Ryan going 21 to 28 for 222 yards and no turnovers, one sack. Like that's what we needed from this offense. So certainly the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, they played a part of this, but um. Even Pittman, seven catches for Pittman. Like the kind of the whole offense fell into place once we got a a quarterback that could rush for uh, a long of thirty nine yards. I don't know if you saw that run, but uh, Matt Ryan has some wheels, Ryan.
1: Yeah, man, we we talked so much about the Colts' offense this past week, and all of that analysis was com- just completely useless. As like as soon as uh, it was rumored, like an hour or so before the game, I think that Ryan might start. Um, yep. So yeah, just. Whatever this stuff happens in fantasy football, but it it's pretty tilting.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. And then let's wrap it up here with the Chiefs, their running game. Ryan, uh, CEH played four more snaps than you did today. Um, (laughs) can you give me any reason to be optimistic on Clyde Edwards Hilaire? Whether that's picking him up on waivers in a deep league or trading for him in Dynasty, like, is there anything for Clyde Edwards Hilaire or is he like on his way out of the league? Like, what's going on here? Four snaps.
1: I really can't give you anything on him. Like it, it's just what, it, what is the scenario where he is valuable in fantasy again this season? I, I guess a Pacheco injury, maybe, but it, it's not like the Chiefs want to run the ball. And Jarrett McKinnon is like their main guy on passing downs. He's the only one that is commanding targets out of the backfield at any realistic rate. So, yeah, just CEH is just kind of nothing at this point he's like a, a low-end handcuff I guess but I yeah I don't know like that I would assume they move on from him after this year I, although I do have to say I saw some people calling for Ronald Jones today regarding the Chiefs backfield I just I love that that's the spot that we're in at this point and I, I mean imagine how bad the Chiefs must have thought that Ronald Jones was for their backfield to look like this 10 weeks in
0: <laughs> who who would have thought that uh, Ronald Jones, one of the worst passing game backs in the league uh, would not be a fit for the Kansas city chiefs. So yeah, Pacheco today, 35 snaps, 16 carries, no targets, Jarek McKinnon, 24 snaps, eight targets, one carry. And again, yeah, CEH four snaps, two targets. So uh, Pacheco and McKinnon are kind of just putting up this role between rushing and receiving and, I mean I suppose both of them deserve a spot on deeper rosters, right? I mean if you're going to get eight targets out of anyone in the Chiefs offense, that's interesting. So I mean even McKinnon who we don't talk a lot about, uh, he's got some deep league value.
1: Yeah, Mac- McKinnon has seen the most consistent usage really. I mean he's always in in the two-minute drill, he's there kind of clearly favored on third down. So he he's the one I would prefer to have right now and my guess is kind of that they are going to plan to unleash him more and more as the season goes on. Maybe not until the playoffs, but it, it really feels like he's the one that they feel the best about their offense when he's on the field.
0: Yep. Six catches for 56 yards today for McKinnon. So that's pretty, pretty good work for an RB2 in a lot of PPR leagues. So uh, I know this one isn't on the, the show sheet, Ryan, but, um, Kadarius Tony, man, it's, uh, I think it's happening. There's injuries ahead of him on the depth chart. Uh, Tony four catches 57 yards and a touchdown. He also rushed twice for 33 yards. Like, right, this might be real. What do you think here?
1: It, so I'm glad you brought this up. Cause I can't believe I forgot to put this on the show sheet. Kadarius Tony, for the touchdown catches the ball by the sideline with no one around him hops into the end zone, pretending like he hurt his hamstring and it hops all the way to the back of the end zone. It was, it was, I thought it was hilarious. I, I saw some giants fans pretty angry about it on Twitter, but that, I mean, that's how, you know, it's funny, I guess. So yeah, but no, I, I do think Kadarius Tony is probably for real for the rest of the season. I mean, Juju just, suffered what we assume is a pretty scary concussion. He's got a history of that. So Mile Hardman was out today. so yeah, I Kadarius Tony's looking like a legitimate option in this Kansas City offense now
0: yeah. uh Marquez valdez gantling fifty three snaps Justin watson forty six tony twenty eight. Juju played twenty four before he was hurt. Sky Moore sixteen. so. There's a chance that Justin Watson is annoyingly in this offense, kind of like, I don't know, Demarcus Robinson in years past. I could see that kind of happening. Uh, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Justin Watson. That's like uh, Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle, maybe. Um, but I, I do think the ball is going to find Tony. They're, they're going to need some explosion. So I'm pretty excited to see what happens with them. But uh, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is so good. Like, it's he's going to find the talented players. So that's that's what gives me hope, I think, long term for Tony.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I it's still Kadarius Tony. Like he still is looking pretty good with the ball in his hands. I I know people were kind of clowning of like, oh, why are you so excited? He caught like a wide open touchdown with no one around him. But it it is still Kadarius Tony. He's still gonna make things happen, and there, there's a reason they're using him in the running game as well. Like it it yeah. all just lines up well for his workload to build and build um but yeah i i will be i will be pretty annoyed if it's justin watson just taking all the snaps and the routes that that yeah. that would be very 2022
0: yeah it, the tony thing it reminds me a little bit of ceh where it's what made ranking ceh difficult for several weeks was he was scoring so many touchdowns but it's because andy Reid was drawing up plays for him you know and it it if they're drawing up plays for you to score touchdowns in this chief offense, it's going to be a lucrative role. So it, it's not CH anymore. Uh, Tony obviously has a, a better skill set and we have more upside in mind for him. But like if they're drawing up these plays, it doesn't matter how wide open he is near the end zone. Uh, it's going to be good things for us. So um, and, and I guess I would also say Giants fans, uh, you're seven and two. Don't don't get mad about Kadarius Tony uh, celebrations. I, I don't know. That's all I got.
1: Yeah, Giants are 7 and 2, Vikings are 8 and 1 or whatever now. Yeah, we got we got some uh we, we got some teams that are looking kind of for real. I don't know. Like we'll we'll get to the Vikings game later. Um but first, Eric, you did a mini little study about the running back position that you wanted to share some insights with us on, so I will just let you take it away.
0: Yeah. So first of all, um, I'm going to leave future uh, research studies to Ryan because he's much better (laughs) at this than I am. But uh, the the, the question I was asking was uh, the running back position feels worse this year. Is it worse? Uh, You know, we complain every week about how I think we've complained that we're losing top end players. We've complained that we're losing floor players. Like it just feels like a year where the running back position is a mess. So I want to look at some things here and see if anything is different from this year to last year. And At a first glance, Ryan, no, this kind of looks like the same position as it was last year. Um, Our top 12 running backs point per game basis this year are actually slightly outperforming last year's top 12, which surprised me. I would have thought it was down as a whole at the top. Um, That trend holds steady through the top 24 running backs points per game, top 36 running backs. Like This year's running backs have been slightly better than last year's in PPR leagues. Um, I would kind of wonder if we've had some more uh, random players pop up this year, like Jamal Williams. But I mean, just kind of eyeballing the lists here. Like a lot of these names are the same, the top 12 and top 12 from last year and this year. I mean, you know, you got Derrick Henry in there and Nick Chubb and Austin Eckler, and you know, Leonard Fournette. So I, I don't even think it's been less predictable this year. So it looks like at the top end, um, running backs are slightly better than they were last year, which is surprising to me. Uh, I also looked at running backs with 30 plus point PPR games this year, just to see if there's a difference in the elite games that we've seen so far. We've actually had more elite 30 point PPR games from running backs this year. We've had 17 through 10 weeks compared to 23 in all of last year, so we're ahead of pace there. Um, so, just before I get into some other numbers, Ryan, like is it surprising to you that kind of maybe we actually are? being babies about the running back position and that they're better this year than they were last year
1: well i think we definitely are being babies as we are about most (laughs) things in fantasy football um my thought of kind of what's going on here because i i would have agreed with you before you did this and laid all this out i I would have also said ah, running back feels a lot worse i i think there's a couple things maybe going on that i can kind of guess at. um one is that it, it feels like the running backs that were about to break out have just suffered season-ending injuries immediately. Yeah. Brees <laughs> Hall and Javante Williams especially. There I, there could have been guys that that happened to in 2021, but none off the top of my head I can think of. Uh, and my my other like kind of hypothesis is – I feel like it's been harder to get running backs on waivers this year. Maybe it's just the leagues that I'm in being deeper in general, but we're not getting like RB2 production from a random player like JD McKissick or something like we have in seasons past that I, again, Mm -hmm. that I can think of.
0: Yeah. So uh, that's actually interesting. You you bring up JD McKissick because I felt like as a whole, targets were down this year for running backs. It just feels like we're not getting those PPR backs. Maybe we're more reliant on some of these Derrick Henry types. And no, across the board, like it looks like running backs are getting the same amount of targets this year. Like the top 12 running backs are about 4.9 targets a game. They were 4.2 last year. Like that extends down farther down the list. So it doesn't seem like there's a huge difference in the passing game work. Um, It was interesting when I went to these 30 point PPR games from this year. Uh, So in that sample, those running backs are actually averaging 122 rushing yards per game and 40 receiving yards per game. And that is different from last year. Um, That's about 20 yards more rushing per game than last year and about 15 less receiving. So we've seen some of these big games more reliant on heavy rushing yardage. So maybe that's kind of what we're feeling here, Ryan, is some of these big breakout games have been heavy rushing yardage, but we're also talking about a relatively small sample size. So Uh, Rushing touchdowns on these big 30 point games are the same this year to last year. Receiving touchdowns have dropped about 0.74 per game to 0.53 per game in in the sample size, but that's not a huge difference there. So overall the rushing yards are up and we were kind of talking about maybe this is because these big blow up games are coming from teams that are winning and they're just running up the score and it's happening more this year. But um, among these 30 point games, like, Last year's teams went 18 and five in those sample, and uh, this year's sample they're 13 and four. So, like, it's kind of been pretty consistent. Um, I found the difference between last year and this year, though, Ryan. Uh, it's the Houston Texans defense. <laughs> the Texans have allowed four of this year's 17 30 plus point PPR games from a running back. They've given it up to uh, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, and Khalil Herbert. Uh, there was only one team last year that allowed more than two, and that was the Pittsburgh Steelers with three. So. I think maybe our sample size is just skewed by how bad the Houston Texans defense is.
1: Yeah. I mean, if if we're taking one finding from this, I think that is probably the biggest one. Uh, And just looking at the Texans fantasy playoff schedule uh, they get the Chiefs, the Titans and the Jaguars, uh, Jaguars being week 17. So I don't think we're getting a hundred yard or a 30 plus point PPR game out of anyone on the Chiefs, but it's looking pretty good for Derrick Henry and Travis Etienne if they can make it there to the fantasy playoffs. So those might be the guys that you want to go out and trade for at before the trade deadline if you're looking forward on like a good roster.
0: Oh, Derek Henry is going to have 55 PPR points in that game. He's already going to be the league winner. I see it already. So, yeah, I don't know. A, a lot of this takeaway for me, um, Austin Eckler and Josh Jacobs, each have three 30-plus-point PPR games this year. Uh, so that's six of the 17. Eckler, we've talked about his touchdown Uh, Running hot on touchdowns, Uh, he's kind of been a topic all year. Josh Jacobs, maybe he's a good look at why we feel like this year has been kind of crazy for running backs. Like the fact fact that he has spiked three of these thirty-point games when Jacobs was kind of uh, pushed down draft boards before the season. Like that's that's a pretty significant sample of these seventeen games that Josh Jacobs represents. So maybe that's part of it. We can just blame this on the Texans' defense and Josh Jacobs for making these numbers a little wonky. But uh, I guess the moral of the story is that this season is pretty similar to last year's as far as fantasy running backs. Uh, We should start running backs on teams that will win, and we should start running backs against the Texans. Um, We should also start Austin Eckler and Josh Jacobs too. So I think we were overreacting, Ryan, to the running back position. Um, It's pretty much the same as last year. I I will say last year we barely had one juggernaut running back. Uh, I remember you mentioning that Jonathan Taylor kind of reset some of the numbers in, in juggernaut rankings because his his juggernaut season was a little lower than a lot in the past, so this may be just a two-year continuation of lacking some of those true juggernaut running backs, and we're just kind of settling into a new fantasy normal at running back.
1: Yeah, that that's the point I was going to bring up, is I wonder if you analyzed 2022 and 2021 together and compared them to, say, the previous three or four years, my Thought is that especially with the targets, you would see a big difference there. I most of those like huge seasons, uh, from receiving production of like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, though we haven't really been seeing those at all these last two years, so maybe that is the difference. Which one of those you want to say is the norm is probably a whole nother argument that we could have for a long time, but. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Um, even just looking at like the top twelve in points per game last year compared to this year, it is a lot of the same names. Like we we didn't really have that many like big surprise breakouts. Uh, Josh Jacobs being the one you mentioned, and Ramondre Stevenson, I guess, being the other one. But in twenty twenty one, like James Conner and Leonard Fournette were. I believe both being drafted outside like the top four or five rounds and both finished top 12 on a points per game basis. So it, yeah, I mean, the position just by the numbers, at least so far this year has looked pretty similar. Um, I looked at the consistency uh, or you might say like the range of outcomes for top 12 running backs this year versus last year since it was pretty easy for me to look at with all the data I had on the range of outcomes tool and top 12 running backs are just as consistent as they were last year so yeah it really feels like any which way we turn the bit like the big difference <laughs> is the texans as you said <laughs>
0: It's also funny that we were worried about these aging running backs all offseason. and these aging running backs all are making up the top 12 again. And I think we're going to be stuck with this exact same worry next year. I mean, Austin Eckler is getting up there in age. He's in the top 12, Derek Henry. Uh, we've got, um, let's see, Leonard Fournette up there. Although he just got hurt today. Alvin Kamara, even Dalvin cook is starting to get up there in age. We got McCaffrey who's knock on wood been healthy so far, but like it's, yeah, it's, it's the same old names and we are going to be left with this exact same debate going into drafts next year.
1: Oh, we are. Yeah. And I'm, I'm probably just going to be doubling down on, I'm um, I'm not drafting anybody over age 25 or 26. I, to be fair, we do have a much more talented rookie running back class likely to come in this year than we have in the last couple. So yeah. that could definitely shake some things up. Um, in in a similar way to the 2017 class, I mean, you look at the top 12 running backs by points per game right now, we got, what, four or five that were drafted in 2017. That's yeah. Joe Mixon, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, uh, mate, Alvin Kamara. Kamara. So yeah, yeah, five of them. So I, I mean, it this kit type of thing can definitely just come in waves just based on the talent that is entering the league at different points. I, before 2017, we were talking about the running back position being dead in fantasy. I remember like 2015 when Devontae Freeman was one of the top scorers at the position, and like 40-year-old Adrian Peterson was what we were dealing with. So, yeah, I I mean it's I'm I mean I'm glad that this year hasn't turned out that way, but that that was kind of the worry going in, and it, I it might be again next year.
0: All right. Interesting stuff. I, I'm glad that we took a look at the running back position a whole more of the same, but um, yeah, just start everyone against the Houston Texans. I'm glad we got, we got a long study to tell us that. So, all right, let's get on to the game of the day here. Um, Buffalo against Minnesota. Uh, I'm sure you all were watching this one too, but just in case um, Ryan was thoroughly enjoying this one, uh, despite some early worries, Ryan, you came all the way around on the excitement level on this Buffalo, Minnesota game. Yeah. So
1: I, so my Patriots are on by this week. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and watch one specific game that we can talk about on what we saw or whatever. I'm not going to try to have red zone in the background and be paying attention to every single thing and making my brain go crazy. So I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit down, just enjoy one football game this afternoon. It's going to be so nice uh, <laughs> at two fifty nine PM Eastern time. I sent Eric a message saying, oh, I don't know, like, if this is going to work out, like, nothing that interesting has happened in this Bills Vikings game so far, like, er- everyone's just kind of having normal fantasy performances, I I don't have any takes. Uh, and luckily, it got very exciting very quickly. Um, still don't know that there's that many crazy fantasy takes, but it's definitely a game that we could talk about for a while. So, Getting into it, I just need to say that Justin Jefferson is the probably the best wide receiver on planet Earth right now. I don't think there was a debate going into the season, but a- after the catch that I just saw him make on 4th and 18, uh, li- literally as regulation is ending on their final drive, the, the announcers in the booth had just said, okay, this game's over. Von Miller just sacked Kirk cousins. It's fourth and super long. The Vikings are done. Justin Jefferson goes up and makes basically the Odell Beckham jr. Catch from 2014 or whatever it was, except also with a defensive back trying to pull the ball out of his hand. Like they both have a hand on this ball. Jefferson, one hands, it comes down with it, like up uh, somehow keeps it from touching the ground. Like most incredible catch I've ever seen. Uh and that was just personified what Justin Jefferson did in this game overall. Even in overtime, uh, he made a huge play that brought the Vikings to the one-yard line. He, I mean basically he got the Vikings to the goal line twice, and the I mean both times the rest of the offense kind of let him down uh, both in regulation and with cousins getting sacked and them having to settle for a field goal in overtime which did end up holding but jefferson ended the game with 10 catches on 16 targets for 193 yards and a touchdown which he had in the first quarter uh as it, it soon not not even as soon as this game was over before this game ended i w- was just imagining like why? Why did the Vikings throw to anybody other than Justin Jefferson? Like, just kind of get it over with and just throw to him just twenty times a game. Like, why? Why not just drop every single play for him? So I asked Kyle Bland since he's smarter than me and can actually pull stats from R. Uh, what the expected points added were for Justin Jefferson targets versus targets to every other player on the Vikings and overall in the game. So I just said there were 16 targets to Justin Jefferson. The EPA on those plays was 10.49 for the other 34 passes to other players on the Vikings. The total EPA in the game was negative 0.86. So if the Vikings had literally not done any of their other pass attempts, they actually would have been slightly better off. So, that I there's just nothing else positive that I can say about Justin Jefferson. It's just completely unreal what I just witnessed.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a good Bills defense 16 targets, 10 receptions, 193 yards, and a touchdown. They're like you said, just even just looking at the box score, you can see how, uh, I don't know, unexciting the rest of the supporting cast was. Uh, it's interesting to see that Hawkinson had 10 targets. KJ Osborne had 11. Thielen only had seven. Uh, did you have many takeaways from the rest of this group? I mean, obviously the production was not great. You just said that they were all a negative to the team, essentially. But uh, any takeaways behind Jefferson? on like, are we interested in Thielen or is he fading fast? Is, is Osborne worth a look after 11 targets? Anything here? Uh, so Thielen, I
1: would say, is fading. He had about half of his yardage on one play where he just kind of got behind the safety. He was not, didn't feel like that much of a factor for most of it. Osborne was getting involved kind of close to the line of scrimmage, um, like the, these schemed looks where he would just run to the sideline and w- would pick up some first downs here and there. But I oh, just, for the intermediate looks, it was mostly Hawkinson that was involved. 10 targets for him, a 21% target share. Only ran five less routes than Thielen did. I all all of these like route and target numbers are going to be inflated just with how the with the game going to overtime and the Vikings being in what kind of in comeback mode or in like two-minute drill mode for a lot of it. But yeah, I, I would say that Hawkinson is just like the second guy that I would want on this offense at this point. Like he, he looked good, not as good as Justin Jefferson, obviously, but it seems like he is the secondary option. And you're like, you're very happy to have him tight, tight ends horrible. And he could actually be pretty consistent the rest of the year. So I, that, that is a a non-Justin Jefferson bright spot here for the Vikings. Not that they need bright spots like that. That was obviously an incredible win for them.
0: Yeah. So Kirk Cousins, Man, talking about Kirk Cousins is always difficult. 30 of 50, 357 yards, one touchdown, two picks, four sacks. So, is this just the same Kirk Cousins we've always seen? And he, like, he's he's going to lose a game first round of the playoffs. Like, are, was it more encouraging here? Uh, any changes fantasy wise? Like, what, what was the Kirk Cousins experience like today?
1: I, Kirk Cousins played pretty much like he always does. Like, he's yeah. very competent at throwing the ball down the field and hitting Justin Jefferson, but he is going to make the backbreaking mistakes that would normally make you lose a game against a team as good as the Bills. So, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm buying into the Vikings as like Super Bowl contenders. I don't, I don't think they're like really going anywhere, but it, yeah, like Cousins had two picks. The first one was pretty bad, like typical Kirk Cousins pick. The second one was actually the worst interception I've seen this year. Uh, and I, I say that as someone that has watched every single one of Mac Jones's interceptions this year. So that that's pretty bad. He just, I don't really know what the idea was. He, he just threw to the wrong team. It, it was on, it was, it hit the, um, it hit the DV, like right in the chest, like it per, honestly, perfect accuracy, just the, the wrong the wrong guy. There was no one else around. I I don't know, but I am happy that the Vikings ultimately pulled this out because at when I was texting Eric at two fifty nine saying this game was boring and there were no takeaways, I was like, oh, I'm just, all I'm going to have to say is like making fun of Kirk Cousins, and I, I don't I don't like making fun of Kirk Cousins. He gets he gets like way too much flack, honestly, in in NFL circles in general. I think he's a fine quarterback not an incredible one but he he's a guy that people like to dunk on i i'm happy that we're not really dunking on kirk cousins i'm excited to see the video on the plane ride home uh it it looked like pat peterson had the chains on so i guess we're not getting that but i i would love to see some more shirtless kirk cousins every single week
0: (laughs) Yeah. And uh, you know, as a Bengals fan who saw their team go on a an improbable run last year, I can feel the rage from the Vikings fans right now, probably. They're they're eight and one. They just beat the Bills on the road down twenty-four-ten at the half. And people are saying things like, ah, I'm not sure if they're a real contender. Uh it, it's one of those crazy spots when you're a fan and your team is uh super overperforming and everyone's doubting you. So Uh, I would just say to the Vikings fans, just enjoy this. Don't worry about what everyone's saying because probably a lot of these people just haven't watched your team a whole lot who are, who are are putting them down. So ultimately, yeah, maybe a a Kirk cousins interception ends this, uh, you know, later in the playoffs, but they sure look like to me, they have as good a shot as anyone out of the NFC. Yeah,
1: I would agree with that. I think that at, at this point, I would call them clearly the second best team in the NFC. I, I mean, if they, Can knock off the Eagles somehow, then yeah, they, I would say they're, they should have like the second best Super Bowl odds after the Eagles of any NFC team. So that, I, yeah, I mean, that, that is a contender. It's just, we feel like we know everything in week 10 and that the Eagles are very clearly going to be the best, but, and, and they, those two teams did meet already and it was, not super pretty for Kirk Cousins, but I, yeah, no, I get, get me off of Kirk Cousins. I need to stop making fun of Kirk Cousins. I, I I don't actually have a bone to pick with him or with Vikings fans.
0: All right. Let's get to Dalvin cook. I've been ranking him pretty high all season and he had a good game today, but it was really off a one run. Uh, do you think Dalvin cook is kind of just falling behind the passing game in general, or should we be excited about that 81 yard run that he busted out today?
1: Uh, so we, so look, I mean I mean this is a tough Bills defense would not have really held it against Alvin Cook even if he hadn't really gotten it done in fantasy. He did off of that big 81-yard touchdown in the third. He kind of broke one tackle and then it was just open field ahead of him. It was, it wasn't like a particularly impressive long touchdown run, but I I mean it happened. Can't really take it away from him. Um Before I criticize him for what happened at the end of the game, I just got to take a moment and say how, as someone that has a brother that I've competed with in athletics through my entire childhood, I feel for James Cook right now because right after that Dalvin Cook long touchdown run, the Fox broadcast decided to put up Dalvin Cook and James Cook stats for the day side by side. So At this point, Dalvin Cook only had seven attempts for 94 yards. 81 of them had just come on at play. They got their yards per carry there, like Dalvin Cook's up at 13.4 off of that, just from that one run making his day. And James Cook's at that point read four attempts for 15 yards. He was actually outplaying his brother right until that run. And that's when Fox decided to put that graphic up. I, I just know that I would be absolutely livid. Like if I, I hope James Cook doesn't see this. It, like if he goes back and watches like the Fox broadcast for some reason, but yeah, I, I would be so upset if that, I, I mean, I'm, I'm like dreaming about me and my brother in the NFL, which is kind <laughs> of weird, but th- that would just make me so angry.
0: Yeah, it feels like an older brother versus younger brother sort of thing. The older brother gets the stat right after the 80 yard touchdown. So yeah, the the maybe the stat should have just been 80 yard touchdowns one for Dalvin Cook, zero for James. Cook.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, but I I will say, of James Cook, did not drop <laughs> did not drop what would have been a game winning touchdown at the goal line. Uh, so D- Dalvin did also have a few nice gains after that big one, especially in overtime. Uh, But the only reason they were in overtime is because right after Justin Jefferson set the Vikings up basically on the one, uh, Dalvin Cook had a really, really ugly drop that would have put the game away at the end of regulation. Uh, He's lucky with how absolutely insane the game went right after that moment, because I don't think people will really remember it or talk about it much. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but as far like for as far as like serious fantasy analysis for Dalvin Cook, he's he's basically back to his bell cow role. I there was some concern uh, with the shoulder injury where the usage was trending more towards Madison playing a lot, but Madison only played like fifteen percent of the snaps in this. Cook ran almost all the routes, was in the game during all of these numerous two minute drill situations, so yeah, Dalvin is still an RB one. He's still has one of the best workloads in the league on one of the league's best offenses.
0: Yeah. 70 snaps, 44 routes run today for Dalvin cook. So that's uh, a lot of work. Maybe, maybe you'll get a little break next week and get a little bit more uh, spelling with Madison, but probably not. He's, he's their best option. So, all right. That was a lot about the Vikings. Um, Start with the bills here. Um, It looks like you just want to start with the the worst of the bills.
1: Yeah. Before even like really getting into each of their players. I I just want to talk about the sequence of events that led this game to going to overtime. Uh, So, so the bills have a great goal line stand helped out by that Dalvin cook drop. Uh, So they are backed up on their goal line, like literally like the half yard line, basically Uh, there's about 40 seconds left in the game. The Vikings have one timeout. So all the Bills need to do is run 40 seconds off the clock. Which it, that's two plays if they only have one timeout, right? So I said before the snap, like, mate and the announcers did too, well, may, maybe they should just take a safety here because they are up by four. And then they could kick off to the Vikings, probably waste another 10 seconds or so. And then Kirk Cousins is in, like, a really difficult spot to try to score a field goal. So... That, that was kind of my first thought, but what happened instead was they attempted a QB sneak. Um, assumedly just if, if you figure if you get it out to like the one and a half, the two yard line, you can just snap it again, kneel down and the game's over. Right. Yeah. But what, what, so what actually happened was the center snaps it. It, it was hard to tell what went wrong with the snap. It definitely hit Allen's hand at one point, but it just kind of glanced off his hand falls down in the end zone, vikings lineman falls on top of it, touchdown Vikings. So that that was like unreal. Like we, pretty much everyone was have, has already been convinced this game is over a couple times, but now, now it's like, oh my God, this game's over again. Vikings kick off. And of course, Josh Allen manages to score the field goal to tie the game, uh, extremely easily, by the way. The Vikings played like the most pathetic prevent defense you've ever seen. Don't know why coaches still do this. It, w- can you think of any time, Eric, when a team has gone into prevent defense and it hasn't resulted in the other team scoring? No,
0: it's wild. I don't, it's not like we're seeing... I mean, with the way cover two is going this year, like teams are preventing these big plays anyway. It's not like there's some pandemic of long touchdowns going along the, around the league right now. So, yeah, I think you can play relatively safe without having to go full prevent. It's it, you understand it when it's like a 17 point game. But when it's anything under a touchdown, it's just mind blowing.
1: Yeah, it's just unreal to me. Um, the, I guess the other question I wanted to ask you was. It, regarding the the Bills' decision to sneak it instead of try for the safety, do, do you think it's like, would have been any better? Like, they, obviously they brought it to overtime and the, the result of the game feels somewhat removed from this, but if the Bills had just taken the safety, at deep, like, do you think there's better odds of Kirk Cousins not getting down the field for a field goal than there would have been of them successfully doing two QB sneaks. Like, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I have a hard time convincing myself to second guess them here, but I, I'm curious what you would think.
0: Yeah. It's hard for me to second guess when it's a fumbled snap. I mean, it'd be one thing if they handed the ball to a running back and they fumbled or got stuffed in the backfield, but you have to count on the very basic execution of a, a center snap into the quarterback. So I don't know if, if it's, a um, you know, if, if a field goal doesn't get it to, get a winner or an overtime, I can understand taking the safety, but when cousins only needs to get a field goal, I, I can understand just saying, Hey, let's just snap a ball and have our gigantic quarterback get a, a yard and a half. Yeah. And I mean,
1: a fumbled snap can happen on that on any play too, like that. Yeah. Even if they plan to take the safety, this, I get, maybe Allen would have been in the shotgun then, but yeah, it's very easily. Things could have still gone wrong, I guess, in the same way. It's just so low percentage, which is wild um speaking of low percentage breaks that the went the bills way in this case on the drive for the game tying field goal uh Gabe Davis made a nice catch on the sideline the bills hurried up and snapped it they are showing the replay after this Gabe Davis absolutely did not catch that ball it hit absolutely hit went to the ground before he fully had it uh and they did get away with it but the I, I don't know what like the officials up in the booth were doing. I I mean, the the booth is supposed to take care of all reviews inside of two minutes, right? Like that it, it's like, yeah. again, if the, if the result had been different, those are some more people that would have been catching a lot of criticism, I think this week.
0: Yeah. It's odd to me when the booth doesn't, I understand that they can't see the replay sometimes in time to make a ruling, but you can tell when there's a questionable play and other teams running up to the line of scrimmage. And I, I think it's okay to just stop the play and, and say, Hey, let's just in case, let's take a look at this. I'm sure they don't want to give a team a free timeout when they're running out of time, stuff like that. But yeah, they, they need to be more aggressive in these end of game situations, just being like, Hey, that was a big play. Let's go ahead and just challenge this regardless. Like it's, it's worth making sure we get it right.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I, I, I hate when every sideline catch has to be challenged and infinitely yeah. scrutinized, especially if it's like a really cool play. Like Justin Jefferson had a few of those that didn't, didn't end up counting. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like just as far as game integrity sake, like you, you have to make sure you get those. Um, just, so I guess looking at the bills players and actually doing fantasy analysis kind of, kind of now that we've talked through a lot of the wild events in this game, uh Gabe Davis we talked about him before the week i said i was skeptical uh he had a 23% target share today on nine targets so i this is just the Gabe Davis roller coaster i i don't know if there's actually a take here but we are i saw a tweet that said the Gabe Davis experience this year is just alternating two week victory laps like every two <laughs> weeks the other side of the debate is victory lapping and saying that they were right. So I, I guess we just have to wait a couple more weeks and we can once again say we were right and that Gabe Davis sucks.
0: Yeah, I I told most people to sit him this week, which I feel bad in retrospect about. Um, but I mean, there's a few things here. I mean, this is one of his best games of the season in a game where literally going up until kickoff, like Josh Allen was active, but he's not on the field in warmups. And oh, is Case Keenum going to start? And it flipped back and forth like three times, it felt like, before kickoff even happened. So thinking you were going to get one of his better games of the year in a game we weren't even sure if Josh Allen was playing. Like, if you played him great, uh, we knew the upside was there. But I I totally stand by sitting him on your bench in this one and letting this quarterback situation play out. And now that we've seen Josh Allen put up his typical numbers, I think we can say everyone's back to their normal role. But I, I don't feel bad about leaving him on, on my bench in this one.
1: Yeah. And I, that is what it comes down to is the, the was Josh Allen's arm going to be a hundred percent going in. Sure. Seemed like it. Uh, yeah. He, there was no point where I was like, wow, it looks like Josh Allen is lacking some arm strength or some accuracy here. Um, ob- like obviously he threw the two very costly end zone interceptions. Uh, wh- one of which ended the game, both to Patrick Peterson but they they were both just kind of like normal Josh Allen. I say normal, but they would have been incredible plays. Like he, obviously Josh Allen is rolling out, throwing on the run would have been hitting a receiver, like through a really tight window would have been, but it's like the type of play Josh Allen normally tries to make. And these both just kind of happened to not go his way. Like I, I didn't feel like he was physically limited whatsoever. So I, it seemed like the Buffalo media was, I, I don't know if they were trying to trick everybody or if the coaching staff was or what was going on with this one, but yeah, I would just not take seriously any mentions of Josh Allen's UCL for the rest of the year. I would be pretty funny if they tried to run this back another week and pretend like he <laughs> had a setback and like, oh, we don't know if he's going to play this week either. He's going to have to rest and not go through warmups and all whatever the crazy charade was this early afternoon. Um, but yeah, Josh Josh Allen's fine. Uh yeah. don't fall for the psyop. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if you mentioned this, but he he was seen running off the field in practice this week as media came onto the field. Like uh media was not allowed to see how he looked. So yeah, there's a, a bizarre strategy here from a quarterback who's been playing all year. Like it's Uh, Yeah, I don't I don't know why they felt like they need to if they were playing Keenum, like how much does other team really prepare for Keenum? anyway? I I don't know. This seemed like a lot of work for nothing. But otherwise, like Khalil Shakir, Khalil Shakir did not play much. But Isaiah McKenzie, a lot of snaps in this one. He didn't produce a lot. But I would note going forward that Isaiah McKenzie is the clear number three in this offense. And uh, there may be some weeks where we can stream McKenzie. So I just kind of throw that one in there. But uh, any thoughts on either receivers or you just want to move on to the running game here?
1: Yeah, I would just echo you. Yeah, Shakir's absolutely droppable at this point, and McKenzie's usage just keeps going up and up, so that's good. Um, so looking at the backfield to finish off. So Devin Singletary did score twice fairly early, uh, both times from inside the red zone. See, it doesn't seem like the Bills' backfield is really changing that much. He Singletary did have a fumble point, but I. I can't imagine that this is going to lead to more work for James Cook or Naheem Hines. Uh, the touches broke down 14 carries for Singletary to five for Cook. Uh, Hines, I saw some people kind of upset and confused of like, why did the Bills trade for Naheem Hines if they weren't really going to make him a part of the offense? Uh, I think the answer is they wanted him for special teams uh, because he was getting involved there, and I, it kind of makes sense. Like you're you're a team with Super Bowl aspirations, maybe you don't want a rookie like Khalil Shakir taking kickoffs like that. That could kind of make sense to me, um, but like James Cook played double the snaps that Heinz did on offense, and Duke Johnson played a few too. He also Duke Johnson also had a nice return. But I I just realized when I was looking at these players, Naheem Hines, James Cook, and Duke Johnson are just all the same exact player, but separated by four years from each other or whatever, right? (laughs) Like Duke Johnson was James Cook eight years ago. Like it's, and ditto with Naheem Hines. Like it's like the Spider-Man meme of the three of them all pointing at each other because they're the same player that, we were excited about for fantasy football and no real nfl coach seems to want to give them a real workload or make them be relevant to their offense in any real way so yeah i, I don't know eric do you, do you think that i'm being harsh here and that Hines could become more involved or is this just kind of the three-headed backup by committee that we we have in buffalo
0: Yeah, I I think you're spot on. I mean, the fact that Duke Johnson got involved is, I mean, that can't mean good things for Naeem Hines. Like, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, Looking at Nathan Jonke's uh, breakdown for PFF, like, he does a really good uh, pie chart breakdown where he shows, like, the the running backs where they got their touches, which situations, and Devin Singletary's dominating all of it except short yardage, non-goal line short yardage. Uh, That's where it's split up, and Duke Johnson got a good amount of work along with Singletary, but, like, Singletary's dominating early downs, goal line, third downs, two minutes. So I, I, Singletary, it feels like there's absolutely no way to predict his weekly scores, but if you need to, when you need to play him and redraft, or I know I have a lot of dynasty leagues where I just he's kind of the guy who I just put in when there's injuries or bye weeks or whatever. Like he's a good solid play when you need to play him. He's just there's zero predicting when he's going to go off or score two touchdowns or just completely disappear from the game plan. So I, I don't know what to tell anyone on Singletary other than you just kind of have to blindly I think put him in your lineups and hope for the best.
1: Yeah, I mean he's had a surprising amount of touchdown equity this year. Like yeah. I I would have thought that. Allen would kind of just be the goal line back, but yeah, Singletary has had some games. So yeah, I, I think that's pretty, pretty simple. Singletary's the play that you plug in and hope and nobody else is relevant.
0: Yeah. agree with that. All right. Well, that was a fun one. Um, I'm glad we got a fun game between these two teams because it looked like we were destined for uh, a gross game with Case Keenum and maybe a blowout. So uh, a pretty fun day overall. Um, Got some, you know, some signs from life from the Packers, stuff like that. So uh, I don't know any last takes on this weekend, Ryan, before we get out of here. Anything you really need to get off your chest uh, before uh, we go on to week 11?
1: I'm out of takes, Eric. I'm sorry. I got I got pretty much everything out in the last hour or so. I, I just my my brain is done.
0: Yeah, this was a bye week for both of our favorite teams. So we got to kick back a little bit. Uh looks like maybe there's a real, like a serious Cooper cup injury. We'll, we'll talk about that a lot coming up. Uh, we'll have the waiver wire podcast Monday night. Of course uh, they'll go through uh, the ads that you need this week and we'll be back for sit start. So it's the NFL. We're going to have a lot to talk about. So stick with us and um, yeah, we'll keep pushing on towards the fantasy playoffs. So thanks for listening everyone. Hope you have a good week.